0: Hello, and welcome to Your Killer Life, where together we tackle the reality of surviving a killer diagnosis like cancer, and I help guide you through creating your killer life. I am your host, Tammy Grable-Woodford, and in this podcast, we aren't leaving anything out. As my guests and I share deeply personal insights and experiences, as we talk about trauma, loss, treatment options, caregiving, side effects, money, hey, we open it all up. In fact, we are even going going into the forbidden zone to talk about sex, relationships, and mental health. Remember, the conversations you hear on the show are based on unique experiences and varying diagnoses, and we all had our own medical teams. We are not giving medical advice. So if you hear something inspiring, please talk with your providers. All right. Are you ready? I know I am. So let's get busy and start building your killer life. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Your Killer Life. And I am joined by my better half as we dive into the next installment of mastectomies. And we are gonna be talking about mastectomies from the guy's perspective. Now, those of you that have been listening know that I was separated from my husband, not this one. Not this one. <laughs> when I first was diagnosed with cancer, my ex-husband had asked for a divorce a few weeks beforehand. And so I was sort of starting this journey, gosh, I guess, newly single after 20 years. And you and I had been friends. Yes. Yes. But we hadn't necessarily escalated things. I admitted last week that the mastectomies really felt like an annihilation of my sexuality. But I will also say there was this added element to that where newly dating, which was sort of unexpected. Right. (laughs) Agreed. And also not being willing to or wanting to have commitment with anyone because i was diagnosed with cancer and and that just didn't feel fair to me to to have a relationship with someone being in this weird mental space of denial and kind of wanting to combat the reality of everything that was happening with still trying to find some element of normalcy some element of of still i don't know hanging on to my sexuality of still being able to find intimacy, still still being human and having a biological need for all of those feel-good hormones that that come along with that. Yeah. And so it was a it was an odd time for me. And so I wanted to kind of give a little bit of that backstory to our listeners because one of the questions I see come up a lot and Relationship issues come up a lot in various breast cancer groups because it is such a hard thing. I mean, it's hard to want to get your sexy on when you don't feel sexy and your confidence being absolutely annihilated. But then there's also the question of what does it look like and what is it like from the guy's side? And I guess you can also tell I'm a little nervous because I just totally just Dove right into this one without much of an intro, <laughs> and, but this is a very vulnerable space. And quite frankly, you know, we are not scripted, and I think that that's important for people to know. So this is a very frank conversation, and opening ourselves up to being very vulnerable, and and willing to hear things that that may actually be uncomfortable or or even unintentionally hurtful, mm-hmm. and. I say that too because it was years before you admitted to me sort of some of the fears and thoughts that you had mm-hmm. um, as we went through this. So, <laughs> yes, are you ready to be?
1: Yeah, yep, yep. That's why I'm here. Go, go for dive it. Dive
0: in. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I know for me, and I know you you listened to last week's episode, which was very hard for me. And I, I almost cried a few times last week in last week's episode, just yeah, talking yeah. about what that felt like and, and where I was mentally. So for me, I struggled a lot with how that looked post-mastectomy. And I struggled with the apparent violence of the appearance of it. Yes. And so guys being very aesthetically stimulated, mm-hmm. what was that like for you when um, you saw that?
1: Well, speaking just for myself, because I know I'm not the only person that's been in that that circumstance and that scenario, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth or put out a false sense of ideals that this is what everyone feels like because I'm, pretty sure it's not that's where would i start with that um so in in the very beginning i remember taking the the bandages off for the first time the um it was painful it was physically painful to see that i mean it just seemed like carnage i mean a very well executed carnage. and i uh remember specifically commenting on that you know how excellent the lines were and how how just exemplarily, exemplary of a job they did uh, in the process, but the 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 physical discomfort I felt from looking at that and 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 knowing with certainty how much pain you were in—that was the part that, for me, was was the initially the most shocking. And that that carried through for quite a while, you know, and it, it kind of breaks down into a few different parts for me personally. Um, When you talk about intimacy and you talk about sexuality and you just talk about where the um, where the difficulties were. Uh I don't really think in terms of the mastectomy for me, there were necessarily difficulties. There was tasking. The. Initial tasking is make sure that you are as comfortable as you possibly can be, so you can heal properly. And to me, when I first saw that, I didn't see an end state. I said the beginning of, of, of a long process. So there was—I I don't think that hope is the right word because I don't—I didn't have a clear picture in my mind what that was supposed to look like. But encouragement that we had a very good place to start. Insofar as what reconstruction can look like and what, you know, X time down the road, you know, what are additional surgeons and plasticians, what are they going to have to work with? And, you know, so in that sense, it was, it was encouraging, you know, going a little bit further in the timeline, the question of intimacy came up. I know that you have, I mean, not just on air, but we talk about that all the time, you know, what, what. And I and understand there's a distinct, a distinct for both of us. And I would, I would venture to say just for people in general, there is a distinct difference between intimacy and sexuality. Often the two are, are very closely linked together, but they're not mutually exclusive. So for me, the intimacy capacity was never difficult because you were wounded and I personally, I'm a protector. You know that. That is, that is what my role is, especially with you. It, you know, I mean, for me, it's been present through most serious relationships I had. But you know, that's the funny thing too is we were at a point, just chronologically, that you know there was very little, very little backstory to us as a couple or as a unit. So, really immersing in that role. Immediately and wholeheartedly and honestly, I didn't really be able to tell you why I was doing it, like what the instate state was. It just I knew that that was my purpose now um, and however long that lasted. So the intimacy in that of you know, having you to to require intimacy and figuring out ways that I can show that to you, show you this th- and, and give you what exactly that you need without potentially even hurting you. Because I mean, and that you know, that was quite a little while where we were concerned about that in terms of sexuality. You know, I mean, I we're not going to bust stitches type thing. So I won't say developing different ways of being intimate, but you know, leading with intimacy in mind, and then you know, if we're able to move that into sexuality, then that's great. But you know, I mean, I know for me personally often taking the lead, you know, where you were at, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally, as you mentioned in your last podcast, just talked about. It it seemed like, I'm not finding the correct word for this, I want to say coaxing, but that's not it. But I think just reassuring that you can do this, that it's okay to do this, that I'm not focused on the, the injury, I'm focused on you.
0: Which was very hard because there there was more than once, and all of a sudden, I'm very self-conscious, by the way, because I know our mothers li- listen to the podcast, <laughs> yeah. but we're humans, <laughs> <laughs> they're Sorry. adults. Yeah. So, but there was more than once where I just, I would just stop because it was traumatizing for me to see. Yeah. And it... It felt unattractive. I felt so uncomfortable in my own skin. I did not feel sexy at all. And and it had nothing to do with you and everything to do with me. But I think this is an important part of the conversation because I think it can be seen as failure from a guy's side that I'm not feeling sexy. I'm not feeling yeah. attractive. And it cannot be fun from your side. And again, I don't want to put words in people's mouths either. Everyone's experience is different. And, and you know, not <laughs> we all do not have the same experiences, especially in this area. But I, I will be frank and vulnerable in saying that, you know, I just I couldn't go on. It was too painful for me. And I don't mean physical pain. I mean, mental pain that I looked so damaged. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember it, at least three distinct like meltdown meltdowns where like this was, this took hours to just get you back into a good, a good headspace, you know, let alone back in the mood or what have you. But <laughs>
0: If we even did, because you were really good about that too. Like sometimes you just yeah. abandon that, like that, that's not, that's, we're not going to finish that mm-hmm. thing.
1: I don't know. For, again, for me, and I'm not going to put words in anyone's mouth either. For me personally, when something like that did happen, and I have you know three very distinct memories of that. It there's kind of that instinctual reaction to think that, uh, well, shit, what I do, type thing. But also understanding and knowing you enough, not just where you were in in general as far as like you know emotional. Placement and psychological placement, but understanding your your cues, your physical cues, your your vocal cues that something is either in the process of not going well or is about to go unwell. You know, like being able to see or feel you tense up, like your your body or your shoulders or what you know, what what have you. So, it wasn't always necessarily a surprise, but for me anyway, being observant enough to understand that. This is probably not for me, but if you remember, I always did ask, is it something that I did? But, well, you know, not in that tone. But, <laughs> but, um, understanding that it was, it was far beyond just my own role. It wasn't about me in the sense that this is, this is not my time to be offended or to be, to be hurt by your actions by, uh, or my assumptions of your actions. It was, Clearly that you were in crisis and that's, that's now my job.
0: So that was one of the things I wanted to ask you is whether or not it was hard not to take it personally when, when that started to happen, because in some ways, and this is my, we've not talked about this element of it. This is an assumption of mine that you're kind of doing normal you and there's a normal activity and the intimacy and, and all of that is, is happening. And then to have the brakes put on and to have somebody who's, you know, in some cases I was an emotional mess. In some cases I was just like this, I just, I just, I can't, I can't, I can't look at this. I can't deal with this. I can't. And was it hard not to take that as personally
1: as far as the intimacy goes or the, or the sexuality or the sec- actual sex goes, n- no, actually it wasn't because I know normal you, you know, what was difficult for me not to take personally. And that I actually caused a couple of fights is when we are not doing something like that. We are doing a typically mundane thing and a meltdown yeah. occurs, you know, that's hard for me not to take personally. And, and then as far as, you know, the, just the, personal affronts everyone suffers in any relationship, you know, I mean that I noticed that during that process and for three years, you know, for us, it was, it was particularly important to me to move as light footed as I could around the typical tasks because I, I understood and was able to see daily how horrible of a time you were having of it sometimes so and what I what I did take personally is when I felt like I was giving you everything that I knew how to do and more I mean you know learning on the fly like both were and feeling like it was unappreciated which I know has not ever been the case but again in those moments when we're both freaking smoked you know after 12 hours in Seattle or I've been up for 19 hours, making sure that your drains are are properly well drained, and all the things that go along with that, rebandaging, and you know, you snap at me about believe, like a coaster or something like that. I don't think that actually happened, but something along those lines. It right? could have. It might have happened. <laughs> you have a thing with coasters, that could but have. It, so that's the stuff that was hard for me not to take personally. Yeah. But again, a testament to quality of our relationship is being able to say. Excuse you <laughs> and and it goes certainly both ways, both ways you know, and the, the, that usually is something like that that like not confrontation, but that just holding accountable of like, oh right, I'm uh, it was an asshole thing to do, I'm sorry, and then we <laughs> proceed on right uh, of course, doesn't always work that way. Um, that's one of the things that that I actually pride us on heavily is putting in the work that it that allows us to be like that yeah you know? yeah but as as far as the 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 sex and the intimacy thing i, I think intimacy sometimes a little bit more you know during the meltdowns the oh well yeah just the meltdowns when you know you And i i'm thinking a couple of examples when you're like refusing to be touched, refusing to be consoled, that type of thing that is uh, that's a lot more difficult for me to to not take personally but again, understanding I know the normal you I know how you feel towards me I know your thoughts and emotions and you know admiration and respect and all the things that are critical in a relationship I know those are there so. Let's explore why this is your course of action, as opposed to me just being ass hurt about it and storming out. Right. You know? So that I hope that answers your question.
0: <laughs> answers that, and probably raises raises a couple more. So let's talk. Let's be blunt about arousal. Did the mastectomy sites, which you know, going from what you would normally be used to seeing, which is breasts, to seeing tissue and a concave chest and 10 inch scars on either side. Did that impact your arousal at all?
1: At first, no. And I think I mean that's gonna sound kind of strange, but at first it was just that you're you were still alive it was so it was kind of celebratory in a sense. And because we didn't know if that was going to be the case all the time. So it was kind of like, at least for me well, and for you too. I mean, we had those conversations and of course those actions that, you know, that not really about that. It's about each other. It's about you and I doing things that we want to do together and, and feeling each other, feeling happy and connected and just feeling good after not good days, you know? So I would say typically if it weren't, you if, if weren't someone that I'm, I'm dedicated to and that i am that i require as a human i would say that it would, it would be nearly impossible that uh, it
0: would impact
1: oh so, yes impact. certainly certainly and you know to anyone out there fe- on either side you know uh, either spouse feeling the impact of that it's you're not alone that's i mean I, I would only think that is the the standard you know and it was actually kind of because of that that i i have felt very fortunate that we weren't really negatively impacted by that because sex is important i mean it's it, it is not the same as intimacy but it is very very important you just even as physiologically you know there's there's chemicals and hormones that occur in that act that you can't get in the same dose really anywhere else. And I think uh, certainly during that time, you know, we were, we were really fortunate in that. And I think because there is this, I mean, I I never saw it this way necessarily, but I understood the context of this. it's It's a potentially a short term gig. Right. That I think that kind of emboldened us in some cases and, you know, made it, More of an imperative, you know?
0: I've actually often wondered about that. And you and I sort of had this weird honeymoon phase because we were newly dating. Yeah, we had a bunch of stuff going on with that (laughs) one. We sort of had this... um, this, We were friends. And then for whatever reason, you decided, like you said, that you were going to step in and be that person. Mm -hmm. And I... I tried to push that away and you weren't having it. Nah. And I'm very thankful for that.
1: <laughs> yeah, me too.
0: And I do think that for both of us, there was this element of we we didn't know how long yeah. this would be or even I would be. And so that did kind of adjust. To that.
1: I, I know that you certainly felt that more than I did. Like I always had at least a little more confidence mm-hmm. that... There was going to be an end state to this. There was going to be a time when this was over, but uh, you know, at the same time, you know, how do you enforce that? You don't, and I, we, of course, we talked about that before yeah. quite a bit. You know, like the, ha, don't diminish what this person is feeling—the one going through it. You know, be as confident and as optimistic as you want. And in, in my case, but don't just say, "Oh, don't worry, everything's right. fine."
0: It'll be okay. Don't tell me you don't know. Right. You do not know. Right. Uh, yeah, that was such a such a weird space. Mm-hmm. So I know for me one of the the other impacts was just not having any sensation. So, you know, again, there's mm, uh, yeah. there's no breast, but then yeah. also being numb in that area and and really feeling like I had lost You know, 50% of my erogenous zones, right? Like that was just gone. And that was... And it wasn't that there was no feeling. It was this weird, tingly, numb, like your foot falling asleep because it's all scarred. And I I wasn't mentally prepared for that. Right. And so that was also a bit of an impact, at least on my side. You know, the visual of it was very difficult. The sensation.
1: Yeah. And that that was something I, I didn't expect either. You know, I... Ziu and uh, at least a couple of our listeners know, you know, I, I've spent some time in the medical field and, um, have certainly had my, my share of interaction with cancer patients. And that was, I, you know, I'd never thought of that. I'd never heard anyone bring it up. It's really not something that's talked about. Like, what are the, the seemingly innocuous details that make a really big impact? Yeah, You know, and that was certainly one of them for me. Like I, Again, I just never considered that before being with you before going into your surgeries and then how each additional surgery impacted it differently. Yeah. You know, that was, um, that's the other thing too, you know, with the mastectomies, that's not just the one surgery. I mean, you you certainly have the option of just removing everything and then leaving it like that. But, you know, we obviously didn't go that route. Right. Which I'm personally thankful for, for a lot of reasons and not just aesthetic reasons, but you know each each time the expanders went in or went out each expansion you know the the different implants all that you know the it all of it impacts it differently
0: yeah i know we haven't even started to talk about reconstruction yet and that that was quite the journey because you know, I consider the biopsies to be my first surgical procedure because with the stereotactic biopsy, I think it was one point four centimeters of tissue that they took from one of the masses,
1: yeah, they took a big plug out of you,
0: yeah, and that was that was significant and then the of course, the mastectomies, and then having the expanders placed, and so I had mastectomies three fifteen, I had expanders placed in June fifteen I had. My first exchange in December of fifteen, and then we had the do that over in April of sixteen, and then nipple reconstruction in September of sixteen, and then just last April, having the yeah um, the final set. Put <laughs> final in for then... now. <laughs> a lot of people don't realize this either, right? Like I I mention a, that this is not a, a boob job. It is in no way a
1: boob job. Uh, there, it is not.
0: I have had well-meaning friends try and empathize with me about, yeah, I've had augmentation or I've had reduction. And this is this is nothing, nothing like that. The yeah.
1: So I, I will give a, a a brief clinic for anyone out there who wants to comment on something like that. Say you have breast augmentation or your wife is at breast augmentation. Uh, you do not get to comment if you have not had mastectomies on what you should or should not be feeling after you've had mastectomies that's just how that goes and there is nothing fortunate about having mastectomies
0: no no and when we do talk about reconstruction we will we'll go into that a little more because a lot of people i think those who haven't been there or lived with a person going through it think that you end up with the television hamburger commercial gonna yeah. sell a car type well, results and you,
1: you know you can and you can, uh, that's going to take years and you're going to pay for every milliliter that is in those <laughs> yeah. implants and pay
0: And then some, so, and this is going to be a really, I think, hard question because we are so different. Every relationship is so different. Everyone is different in the different spaces that they're in. Some people are, unfortunately, there's a lot of divorce. So my situation is not rare. And you and I were friends and so we sort of had this weird leg up and there was an emotional bond before, you know, this happened just mm-hmm. by virtue of friendship. Yeah. So, yeah. but when it comes to, my gosh, meeting new people and having those conversations and and getting your confidence back do you have any recommendations from the guy's side? You know, if, if, if we hadn't known each other and you and I had just met and I said, would you want to know this first date, third date, if, uh, if I'd had mastectomies and was wearing knitted knockers at the time, or I know it's a super hard question.
1: I'm not really sure to answer that one. I, me, because I, I'm very much information driven in my decisions but at the same time when it comes to relationships it's very different i want to know the person right like who i'm actually putting through a selection process to spend my life with (laughs) that's uh to me it's always been when considering a serious relationship uh, it's been a lot more important who that person actually is as opposed to what they what their cup size is or something like that. Because I know that that is going to change regardless of health. Uh, At some point, you're not going to look like you looked when (laughs) when we met. So that seems like a pretty irrelevant, I mean, it's not irrelevant, I shouldn't say it's irrelevant, but it seems like it's um, quite a bit further back on the Tier of importance when selecting a long-term person than I think is placed on it with a lot of other people.
0: So what I what I actually really love and appreciate about this, and like I said at the beginning, we are not scripted, and so I totally just asked him a completely unfair question. <laughs> but what
1: I, <laughs> I'm used to those. It's fine. Don't but, worry.
0: What I love about it is it does remind me. So I ended the last podcast talking about a friend of mine who asked me a really important question, and I didn't name that friend and that question was and it does tie into what you just said and that question was as i was struggling with do i want reconstruction or not and i was dismissing it's they're just boobs it doesn't matter i don't have kids i'm not going to have kids i'm not going to use them for anything i'm just it's just vanity and the question that you asked me was
1: are you confusing identity or vanity with
0: identity right right and so the answer that you just gave, I, what I'm hearing you say is that because I, and it is hard not to get all tied up in this when it is so much of your person that you know you you are losing in part of that identity and i think in some ways you sort of just want to rush out get it over with and say this is this is my trauma this is what's been going on this is what i've been going through and what i'm hearing you say is give your person your personality your your essence a chance in a relationship that that's not the thing that is at the forefront you are the person, not the piece of you that is the priority? Correct. especially in the beginning.
1: Well, right, and I mean that's. I will put words in people's mouth. Is that is how a successful relationship begins? When successful in every term, not just longevity. I don't see that as success. I see the the transcendence that comes with longevity the devotion and sense of duty and continued and strengthened love throughout that process. That is success. Numbers don't mean shit, excuse me, mean anything. And which is funny because at the time I would, neither of us were looking for that whatsoever, but as it happened and well, and you know, I would caveat the answer to the question. We didn't go through that. So I don't actually know what I would, Yeah. what I would, uh, state on that i I don't think i would give necessarily a timeline like you have two days and 45 minutes from the times that we that we met to tell me this big thing Uh, but even still personally that is that's that's where my my interest has really always laid with in the pursuit of a potential long-term relationship is i want to know the person i want to See, I, I want to see exactly who you are, not what you look like or what you're wearing.
0: So, another unfair question, <laughs> right? That I'll ask. Relationships are a challenge. No, that's not it. They're work, regardless. Like, there's, there's no, you don't get out of work with relationship, and the experience of something as significant as cancer is going to magnify even the smallest things. And you and I did talk previously. I would
1: certainly say that, yes.
0: (laughs) We did talk previously about, you know, you add prescription drugs and the mental anguish and trauma and recovering from surgery. There's so much going on. And a lot of relationships do it takes a toll, I guess is the best way to put it. And it did on us too. I mean, there were, there were times I didn't know, you know, at first it was sort of this honeymoon phase and we were both like, Hey, who knows how long this is going to last? And (laughs) you know, we'll just enjoy enjoy it. (laughs) Let's go (laughs) buy a
1: boat. Yeah. (laughs) And
0: and then it was like, ah, wow. Okay. No, I'm in this for the long haul. And and then it was like, why did I agree to be in this for the long haul?
1: (laughs) Well, it, it was never like that for me, but to, to your point, I mean, the, it doesn't matter what relationship. It is work, but it's been righteous work. And uh, my, I don't know, my, my concept of marriage, my, my goal in marriage is to find someone who helps me transcend above my basic biology, who allows me to become the best version of myself that I can expect or beyond what I can expect, which has been the case. I love you. I love you back because that's, that's it. That makes the work not much work really. Yeah. That makes it a challenge. And in the challenge, in the sense of challenge that, that I'm thinking, it's that, that opportunity for greatness. And that's, you know, I I guess if I had to try to articulate a reason in the very beginning for for volunteering, it would probably be that. It would probably be that, actually. The opportunity for greatness. It's really hard stuff.
0: It and is hard stuff.
1: You know that I really dig hard stuff. Yeah. Like that. Uh, my every career, every job I've had has been, you know, from commercial fishing in the Bering Sea to gunfighter school to uh, emergency medical worker. It's always been... Can I push myself more than most everybody else? Can I learn the harder things? Can I excel and master the really hard things? And I think seeing you in such tremendous and terrified need in the beginning, that I think I would say that was probably it. And knowing that I I, I do have something to offer. I did, and obviously I do now. But I I did have something to offer that no one else around you could, is that I knew how to suffer and I knew how to help others get through that suffering.
0: Do you have any advice or thoughts or recommendations for husbands who are struggling or significant others, boyfriends? Actually, we'll just stick with significant others of, of any, you know any relationship in in re-engaging in that intimacy or helping to find your way back to those intimate moments?
1: That's a really broad question. And, you know, I don't like making broad statements, but I will say in your and my case, it was easier for me to do that, to get back to that level of intimacy and through all the changes you know they i don't think there was more than like three months where you looked the same
0: <laughs> that, is, that is so true
1: probably five months actually that i think that so was true. about the longest time that you you looked after a surgery you looked the same once you got out of that surgery it was probably five months and that was about three three and a half years yeah something like that yeah. so you know normal was a really moving target and you know <laughs> yeah. for me i had to learn And ask really important questions. Okay, so I think that would be the piece of advice is because it's not going to be the same. It's going to look different, whether that's in the beginning or as an end state or anywhere in between, you are not going to um, have the same thing to look at and to experience that you did in the first place. So the advice would be, you need to ask yourself very difficult questions as to Am I in love with the person or am I in love? Do I find the person sexy and attractive, him or herself? Or is it the original idea of that person? Because, you know, well, I mean, you know, being abandoned a in the middle of cancer, right? I mean, that.
0: At the beginning. Right. The beginning, ca- yeah, beginning yeah.
1: of cancer. Yes. That's, uh, that's a terribly hurtful, what feels like betrayal.
0: Not good for the ego either. It is not. No.
1: But, you know, think about that after going through all that and going through all those physical changes when you have less confidence to start with and then being resented by the person who you thought was was always there, you know.
0: And I'm glad you mentioned changes because I talked a lot on the last episode and we talked a little on this one about the how the mastectomy sites looked, but... Mm-hmm. You know, it's so much more than that because, (laughs) yes, so much more than that, because with that, there is also the, uh, (laughs) in the breast cancer world, we call it the Buddha belly because there's Mm -hmm. just this inflammation. So, you know, that was one of the first things, not only were my breasts gone, now all of a sudden I had a a, a distended abdomen when I was actually very fit and that came after Every stinking surgery. Every one of them. Battling that back down. Yeah, it started and
1: with the liposuction. I th- that was the worst, the worst that I remember as the result all of that um, pooled fluid.
0: Fluid. Yeah. Your lower
1: abdomen yeah. and pelvis yeah. that was
0: the worst but it was even after the the mastectomies there oh, was yeah, yeah. there yeah. was uh, a little bit it wasn't as bad but you know to your point I mean the bruising the changes in appearance the it is you know it it, it absolutely is a moving target yeah and the mental anguish on my side of There's no escape from me. And I talked about that last week. There's no escape. I cannot hide from the scars on my chest. Every time I get dressed, every time I get out of the shower, just, you know, every time I'm intimate, it's just, there's no, if the seatbelt touching me, there's no escape. Every day, all of these little reminders, the death of a thousand cuts reminding you that you have been diagnosed with cancer, you're in the fight of your life, and everything around you is changing
1: And that's the same thing for your spouse too. And you, there's, you don't escape it because there is, it's not the same reminders, but a thousand a day of what you started out with is gone. And now who knows what it's going to look like in the next six months or two years or shit, 10 days
0: sometimes. Right,
1: Right. So, yeah, uh, I think that feeling of instability, of uncertainty, would, I don't know, in my mind, that would be one of the biggest, I was going to say difficulties or detriments, but potential killers of a marriage, a relationship. You know, people like stability, like being able to predict what things look like or what they're going to be doing as part of security is prediction, prediction, excuse me.
0: I had not thought about that in that um, in that way, and even with my ex, you know, cutting loose mm-hmm. and, and hitting the exit, <clears throat> hitting the exit ramp <laughs> mm-hmm. before we even started the race. But that is so very true that there is not only is there the the real risk of loss. Of a person that you love, but there's also... All there's of very the...
1: little stability and security in between that loss yeah. or pre- or preceding that loss, I should say.
0: Wow. Thank you for letting me ask you some very unfair questions.
1: Yeah, you bet.
0: So as we finish up the episode... I like to try and leave us on some optimistic and and hopeful spots, and and so I think that one of the bigger takeaways, and it's an important one, and you know this, and I knew this, and when I say you know this, I mean you know we all do that. Who we are as people ultimately is the important thing, and there there is in life the only constant is change, right? Mm-hmm. So if we are dating to give someone a, give yourself a chance and give the person a chance and getting to know somebody and, and having that relationship. And yeah. if you're in a relationship. And I will also say, you and I, and, and we'll talk about this on a, on another episode, because it actually came later, but we've had counseling. We've talked with oh yeah. You know, so yeah. Sometimes that's that's a step that you need to take and
1: in something that intimate and constant cancer diagnosis, the, any long-term or chronic illness, and the caretaker role of that, there has to be an outside mitigating party at times because you are so inseparable with each other. You are so wound together for good and for bad that when those issues do come up and they are going to come up, there there has to be an outside party that can... Not just mitigate, but also lend perspective that is not living it twenty four hours a day. That's mandatory.
0: Well, and it's also to be fair because you know things that you're feeling, and I think I remember you saying to me one time that you you just didn't feel free to emote because it just didn't feel safe or fair. Because I was in such a my own mental space with everything I had going on that it in some ways overshadowed unintentionally the mental anguish that you had going on Yes, and that seeking an outside person or just having that, that space to be able to have the conversations safely because I wasn't able to be that safe space at the time because I was too emotionally. That's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And recognizing that and, well, also not taking that personally, recognizing that this is a separate part of a intertwined journey, I guess. That there are some things that, based on trauma, loss, grief, uh, you may need from your partner that they just simply cannot do. And expecting that and asking that is an unfair prospect. It's just simply not going to end well. It's going to do more harm than good. So, you know, having the... Yeah, I would say having the courage to be vulnerable with someone else, you know, I and mean, for me, it was, well, for us, you know, someone that, A, we paid. So there's that, you know, that, uh, <laughs> that interpersonal barrier, which, you know, it does certainly aid in comfort. Uh, and, you know, people that we, that we trusted, you know, we spent a little bit of time with before we signed on that, okay, yep, you're you're the person we're looking for to be that mitigator, that counselor, therapist, um, not just going to the first one that we, we saw in the phone book or on Google, but, you know, giving that person a chance, uh, are you a good fit for this? You know, so uh, you know, that too is actually a pretty complex topic of how do you select that proper counselor, therapist, um, you know, a uh, trauma coach there. And there's so many different yeah. names and articulations <laughs> for different skill sets. So yeah, that actually probably should be another topic.
0: Yeah, I think so. I really do. And then I guess my last question as we, as we close up is how did being a fixer kind of impact, this is a big question, but as guys, right, mm-hmm. you, t- you tend to be, you tend to see yourselves as the fixers, like yeah. that's your job. And so um, there was a lot broken. And if the, <laughs> if the intimacy space is not going well, right, at least for yeah. me, I can only speak for me, but there were times when it was just, it was, it was just,
1: yeah. Well, you know, I have to say that there, there were many times in the beginning where I was so grateful for that. Being the fixer and having the wheels falling off of everything because I was always busy. I I didn't have time or the ability to get wrapped in the sadness of what was happening. I had shit to do. So we're going to do that. So you could fall apart. You could, the wheels could come off of your train. And because, you know, I knew I understand how this works. I've been doing it most of my life you know, recovering or adapting from trauma or loss for 30 years at that point. And so I I knew the process really well and knowing where it would go if A, you were given the opportunity and B, you had a little bit of coaching in the right direction. C, you felt safe enough and secure enough to do that. And all that takes time and effort, you know, and that, that was, that was really a fix. It wasn't just going to the store or changing bandages. It was, you know, those, those last two prerogatives were, that was the, the most effort. So I was very thankful for that as, and, you know, my personality takes that probably a little bit further than maybe the average person, but, you know, really, I mean, that can, look at a lot of biochemistry, the studies that say that, yeah, you know, guys in general, the, the male, the testosterone filled corporeal being, you know, we, that is our programming to right wrongs, fix broken things. So for me, that was a, such a benefit and to be able to do that. And you allow me to be able to do that. You know, because that was not in your character.
0: No, no, it wasn't. As yeah. it happens,
1: you didn't really have a choice no, necessarily, but uh, you didn't have to do it with me. I mean, I was, <laughs> another conversation, another day, certainly the most apt candidate for that, <laughs> for that job. But I mean, that was the best, the best possible thing for me at the time. And the other side of that is not just always trying to be in a rush to fix things, but, you know, really getting that um that sense of happiness and, and joy when things do get fixed. You know, being able to it really enjoy those victories in the midst in you know in the midst of the artillery barrage.
0: Now, I am going to clarify just a little bit because when you say getting those things fixed, you don't mean me as a person. And I don't want somebody listening to this thinking that like there's taking offense I guess in thinking that every that you're a project because you've had cancer that is not the case no the the power is that there are so many things that you just cannot control and having that person that can come in and be and be that for you is powerful and and I think that in a lot of ways and we should we should table this for another conversation because I think it'd be a really good one. You know, as guys and being fixers, we talked, touched on this a little bit. There are so many things you cannot fix because it's right. cancer. And so right. you do gravitate towards those things that you can work on and that you can provide solutions and resolution and be that that strength for, and ultimately the person that you can lean on and trust mm-hmm. and, and uh and have that important role in that caregiving and healing process, to have a role, which it is a busy place when you have cancer. Yes. You're yes, you're competing is. for space with all kinds of specialists and every and everyone else. Mm-hmm. And probably sometimes even feeling a little lost in where it is that you fit in. I,
1: a lot of times. And I if you don't like the word fixing think think <laughs> damage control, you're you know, the <laughs> trying to mitigate damage from something that is extremely traumatic and life altering that's
0: I don't mind the word fix I just didn't want somebody to wonder why why I needed so much fixing <laughs> right <laughs> I knew what you meant <laughs> So, all right. So, oh my gosh, we have covered a lot today and yeah, quite a bit. yeah, we have and it was a very awkward conversation in some some moments at least for me. It's a hard conversation, but it's such an important one and and I will say that I at first really did believe that with the mastectomies and even as I started the reconstruction process, that my my sex life was done and I was starting to write it off in my 40s as being something I didn't need as unimportant and um, (laughs) jokes on you. (laughs) right? And so thank you for not letting that happen. Yeah. Um, And it, it is a huge thing. And thank you for being so open and so vulnerable and sharing from your side. I so appreciate that you acknowledge you don't speak for everyone, for all men, neither of us do everybody. I mean, there's just no way you can have an exact experience in the chaos of what is the chaos and yeah, minefield that's, that's sure. of what is cancer. So thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for being here and listening. If you have a friend going through cancer, if you're finding this helpful, if you have a comment for us, we would love to hear from you. And if you haven't done it already, please click that subscribe button. We appreciate you so much. And until next week, keep building your killer life. Thank you for listening to Your Killer Life, and don't forget to subscribe. For more information about what you heard on today's show, visit us at yourkillerlife.com or visit our YouTube channel. You will also find us in all the usual places on social media. We have another great episode queued up for you next week, and until then, keep building your killer life.